Well, if you would, turn your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 2. As we're continuing on in our series uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes. I, I will say that um, a couple weeks ago when, um, when, when I preached the introduction of our uh, series here in Ecclesiastes, um, I believe it was uh, John Wisely who, who, who uh, texted uh, a message. <laughs> he said um, it, it was just one of those really, really heavy messages on, on just how hard this book is and, and just how real and maybe even in some cases bleak uh, this book is. Uh, is in terms of its portrait of reality and 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 John texted me and he said uh, or he texted uh, I think it was Pastor Sean that he texted and he said if 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 Pastor Ronjor keeps going on with this message I'm going to be one of those two guys on the cliff over there jumping off and so (laughs) and so um thankfully although I oh John is here today I was going to say is John with us today I don't know if if he jumped or not, but, but John is here. He's in the back there. And so uh, it's, it's, you know, it, it is one of those books, though. It is a book that, as we said, and we've said the last couple of weeks, it's real. Um, it's not trying to pretty things up. It's not trying to butter things up. It's not trying to put lipstick on anything. It's, it's, it's the reality that this is a fallen world. And in a fallen world, uh, as he would say, in, uh, in life under the sun, uh, things don't always go the way that you expect them to go. Uh, things don't always work out. Uh, your expectations are going to be disappointed and, and so on. And yet, there's hope. There's hope. There's hope if you look in the right place. There's hope if you are trusting in the right thing, if you're trusting in the right person, if you are trusting in the Lord, then even in the mess of it all, even in the crazy, the unpredictability, the, the things can turn, you know, uh, can turn south in a moment, you know, all of that that we have in this world, there is still hope. And that's what I think the writer of Ecclesiastes is doing, thing, uh, is doing here. I think that he's, he's pointing us towards the Lord and saying, he is the only hope that we have in this life. Everything else will let you down. Everything else will, uh, will bottom out. Uh, there's only one that can last, and that is our Lord. We put our trust in him, okay? And so that's what's going on here in the book. And so he's, he's talked about several things thus far. And in the passage where we're going to be looking at, he's going to focus his attention on work. He's going to focus his attention on your careers. Uh, how, what, what are you doing this for? Remember that we said that the main question is found in chapter 1, uh, going over to uh, uh, where he says here, what can we gain? You know, what, what is there to gain in this life? And, and what he ultimately is saying here um, is that, you know, there, there is really you know, nothing to gain in this life, at least nothing that will last. You see in chapter 1, verse 3, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? What does he gain for all of this? What do you gain for working so hard? What do you gain for, for, for accumulating money? What do you gain for, for uh, living in a, in, a, in a government and even in our system, uh, working to vote and getting elections and all of these different things? What do we gain for that? What do you gain by living a long life? What do you gain by... He's just posing the question. What is there to gain from all of this? What is the advantage that you get from this? And he's doing all of that, as I said before, with the aim of showing us that if our hope is in all of these different things and not in the Lord, you will have a miserable life. Because all of these things in one way or another in a fallen world will let you down. But only the one who is above all of these things only he will help you make sense of what, is, what, is, uh, what life is all about. Only he will be the one uh, to give you something that can actually last beyond the grave. Okay? So now he's going to focus his attention on work and on our careers. 
Listen to what he says. Uh, I'm just going to read a little bit of the passage here just to uh, set the tone for us. Uh, it's chapter 2, verse 12. Are you all there? When you're there, say I'm there. Okay, okay. I gave you all like forever this time. Okay. When you're there, uh, you said it. Say I'm there again. Okay, good, good, good. So verse 12. So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there's more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Hmm. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that that also is, remember the word, hevel. That also is vapor, vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance. Seeing that in the days to come, all will have, long, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies, just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is hevel, all is vapor, all is vanity, and a striving after wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all which, for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. That will preach. Uh, this also is hevel. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity, hevel vapor, and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? Same question he asked in chapter 1. For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. And we'll stop right there and leave you with a little bit of suspense and wondering what in the world is the answer to this question. But please understand, it's a question that you must ask. If you haven't asked it already, you will in due time. What do we gain from the daily grind? What do we gain from the daily grind? Let's go and pray one more time and then we'll let the Lord answer this question for us, all right? So, Father, please give us wisdom and insight. Help us, Lord, to know how to answer this question. We live in a world that is frustrating. Help us, Lord, to make sense of why it's frustrating. Help us, Lord, to find direction. Give us direction. Lord, be our North Star to help us navigate through the mess of a fallen world. Thank you, Lord, for your wisdom. We need your wisdom. Give us a fresh perspective that we may see Jesus even, in, even on the clock. And I pray, Lord, that you would be glorified in all things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we're talking about work and careers and so on, I was thinking about music. Uh, my, my mind tends to go towards music. It seems like there's a song for everything, right? And especially when it comes to work, there are plenty of songs. Whether you want to talk about uh, the seven dwarfs singing, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go. I can't whistle. Can you all whistle for me? There you go, there we go. Yeah. That's my whistle. Yeah, that's all I got. But yeah, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go. Or, or how about Dolly Parton uh, several years ago singing nine to five, working nine to five. That's actually the only part of the song I remember. Uh, but, but, but you got that song. It's a classic song, you know, from her. Or Donna Summer, she works hard for the money. Or, or I believe it was uh, Otis Redding who sang it first, 
but then it was made absolutely famous by this young lady named Aretha Franklin talking about some R-E-S-P-E-C-T, find out what it means to me, right? Talking about when she comes home from work. It was one thing for Otis Redding to sing it when he comes home to work and apparently has an ungrateful wife, and he's saying, I, all I want when I get home is a little respect in this house, right? But it's another thing when Aretha comes in and she sings it, and you're just like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> you know, R E S P C T. You know, take care of take care of T C B. There we go. Which but T C B? How about Bachman Turner Overdrive? Taking care of business every day. Taking care of business every way. You know, I'm working overtime, workout. You know that t- t- uh, Bachman Turner Overdrive. All these different songs of about work. You know, uh, was it the Isleys? with I've got work to do. Uh, one of my favorite songs of all time. I got work to do. Uh, all of these songs that sing about work, working in the chain gang or 16 tons. What do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. You know, it's just all these songs. By the way, have you noticed none of these songs are happy? <laughs> These are all miserable songs. You know, it's songs talking about the the labors of work. It's songs talking about how hard it is to work. We don't like it, and yet we do it. Why? Why do we work? Well, we work for money. We got bills to pay, you know, and and we got to make sure that we take care of those bills. Uh, Maybe you're working because you got kids. And, you know, they should probably be fed, uh, you know, and and you want to make sure that they get, you know, the the nutrients that they need. But also, you're working, some of you are working to make sure that they're in some of the extracurriculars that they're in. Or maybe you're working to make sure they're in that school. Maybe it's a private school or a charter school or something like that. Or maybe you're working to make sure that that, that they're uh, on this team, whether they're on the the sports team or, or whether they're on the chess team or the debate team or something. And you're doing all of that in hopes that they could get this thing called a scholarship. Because guess what? If they don't, we're working even harder to make sure that they get to college and to make sure that they get their, tuitions, uh, their tuition paid and make sure that they can get their books and room and board and all of these different things. But, but then you ask the question, well, why are we working so hard for that? Why are we working so hard for our kids' future? Well, for a couple of things. One, because eventually we're going to be old and we need somebody to pay for that. Uh, no, I'm playing. No, that's serious, though. We really need someone to take care of those things. That's, that's one of the things. But it's also we want to make sure they get careers. We want to make sure that they can, you know, get a well-paying job. And, and all, well, why, why? Why are we working to make sure that they can work? You see what goes on? You start asking, why this? Why that? Just keep the, keep the train going. Why are we doing that? Ultimately, most of us, if we were honest, we would say we're doing these things because We want to make sure that we are setting life up well for the next generation. We want to make sure that our lives are going well, and we want to make sure that their lives are going well. And another reason is we want to work because we want to make sure that that, that we are known for something, right? You don't want to retire and everybody go, thank goodness that person is gone. Whew, it was tough while they were here, right? I mean, all they did was, man, 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 man. Now they're gone, and yay, we're so happy. We're throwing a party, not because we'll miss you. You know, you don't want that, right? You want, you want people to, to look at, your, at, at all that you've done and say, wow, that was one of the hardest working people I know. Wow, that was one of the most generous guys that I know. That was, she was such a nice person. She always was diligent in her work and all of that. What we're saying is this. Our kids' future, uh, our reputation, and all of these different things. What we're saying is we're working, at least one of the reasons that we're working, is because we want to have a legacy. We want to be remembered for something. We don't want our lives to just kind of fall by the wayside. We want to be able to do something that will last. Something that will be remembered long before we're gone, or long after we're gone. Maybe we personally won't be remembered, but the work that we did will be remembered, and that's good enough for us. But we don't want to do nothing and and account for nothing in this life. We want to do something that will count. We want to do something that will last. Well, the writer here in Ecclesiastes is looking at that, and he's just kind of stepping back and saying, 
But what do we gain from that? What do we gain from the daily grind? What do we gain by being remembered for our work? What's the advantage of doing that? Especially when we realize that that thing that we're pursuing, that legacy, whether it be a legacy in our work, legacy in our kids, whatever, may not always happen. It may not always come to pass. He's going to talk about that in, in this uh, section here, and he's not just going to talk about that, but he's going to give a bit of a, of a, of a macro-level view as to why it doesn't always happen the way we want it to go. So many of us are pursuing this legacy mode, right? We're working for a legacy. We're working to, to invest in our children. We're working to invest in our work. We're working to do all of these different things. But the writer's going to tell us this in this first section. He's going to tell us that legacy mode is going to annoy you. Legacy mode will annoy you. Because it doesn't always work out the way you want it to work out. Look what he says. Begin in verse 12. First thing that he, that he shows us here with this legacy mode is that if we are learning for a legacy, it's going to annoy you. Look what he says. Verse 12. So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. In other words, he's like, I've got all the resources. I've got, I've got the access and everything. I can actually invest time and energy like nobody else can. The only thing that other people can do with their limited resources is what I've already done because I've got this. You know how this works. You've got presidents who, who announce their initiatives. You know, we're going to invest $200 billion into this thing. And, and you're just sitting there going, yeah, there's nothing that they're going to figure out or, or there's nothing that I can figure out that they haven't figured out with $200 billion worth of research and all of that. So he's saying, I've got the resources, I can do it. And look what he finds out in verse 13. I saw, this is an observation, that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly as there is more gain in light than in darkness. Okay? In other words, as I looked and I researched and I observed this and put my best, my best team on, on this to understand it all, what we concluded was wisdom is actually better than folly. Okay, now let me define some terms here. When he says in verse 12, wisdom and madness and folly, wisdom is the word uh, talking about the skill, this God-fearing skill of living life well. Okay, wisdom is the God-fearing skill of living life well. That's how the Bible would define wisdom. Okay, folly is the opposite of that. Folly is the lack of God-fearing skill, which leads to living life horribly, okay? Uh, because I'm not beginning with the fear of the Lord, and I'm not learning, my, uh, learning the skills for living well from him. I'm just kind of winging it. That's folly, okay? Folly is winging it. And just going, well, you know, everybody else is doing it, so I guess I should do it too. You know, to which your, your parents would say, well, if they all jumped off a cliff, is that still up there? Yeah, if they all jump off a cliff, would you jump off the cliff too and, 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 and all of that? And, and no, you wouldn't do that. But in other words, people are wrong. People are actually consistently wrong on a lot of things, but, but we just, we're just winging it. We're not focusing on the fear of the Lord. We're, we're just doing whatever seems to make sense in the moment, and, and that's typically when we fall flat on our faces. That's folly. Madness is the idea of when things should go well in life, but for whatever reason, they take a turn. That's madness. That's what he means by madness. So I did the right things. I said the right things. I made the right choices. And life didn't work out the way that I thought it was supposed to work out. That's what he means by madness. Okay, we got, we got that there with the, with the terms. So he says here, wisdom, this God-fearing skill for living life well, is better than winging it. It's better than folly. Okay, it's better than just doing whatever comes to your mind. He says it's better, and, and, and you live life well, but there is one sense in which wisdom is not better than folly. 
There's one sense in which wisdom and folly are exactly alike. Look at what he says. He says in verse uh, verse 14, he says the wise person has his his eyes in his head. In other words, because he has that God-fearing skill, he's able to look around, he's able to perceive, he's able to think, he's able to discern and all of that. But the fool walks in darkness. He's winging it and running into walls and tripping over nightstands and all of that. He says, and yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. Well, what is it? What is it that's the same for the wise and for the fool? Verse 16. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. And so he says, as a result, I hated life, verse 17. Because what's done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind. You work hard to learn the right way to live life. Go to school and you get yourself an education. Come to church and you listen to the preaching of the word. Get involved in, 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 in one of our groups and, and, and you, you, uh, you learn in Bible study. We even have other Bible studies that we have available as well. You buy the books on Amazon and, 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 and all of these different things. Maybe you've got your favorite podcasts and you're listening. You're getting uh, wisdom from, from people who are giving you insights on, on how to live life well. And, and you're also listening to perhaps even more Bible teaching from there. And you're listening to Christian music and all of these different things. You are doing life well. And guess what? One day you're going to die and it'll only be a matter of time before you too will be forgotten. I teach over at Southeastern, y'all know that, and, and over at Southeastern we have certain buildings. We have Binkley Chapel, we have uh, Adams Hall, we have uh, the, the just recently named Carson Hall, uh, we have Broyhill Hall, and, and all these other, Appleby Chapel, and so on, not the restaurant, but Appleby Chapel. We have the Ledford Center, and all of these different things. And from time to time, I just go to some of our students, and I say, who are these people? And most of them would say, we have no idea. The most recently named building and at Southeastern is Carson Hall. It was named after one of our professors who passed away a couple of years ago, uh, Logan Carson. Logan Carson was born blind, and he was a phenomenal scholar, phenomenal preacher. All the folks who were here during that time, during the time that he taught at Southeastern, all to a person raved about him and said he was one of the most influential professors that they've had. Uh, Dr. Carson uh, stopped teaching this millennia. Like in the 2000s, he stopped, uh, he stopped teaching, he retired. And as I said, it was just a couple of years ago, about three or so years ago that he passed away. And yet we talk about Dr. Carson and we have to teach people who Dr. Carson was. He was just alive. And within three, four years of his death, there are people who have no idea who he is. It will be the same with you. Some of you may not know who your great-great-grandmother is or was. My kids were able to meet my, uh, their great-great-grandmother, my great-grandmother, my granny, uh, who lived to be 97. She lived to see all four of our, of our kids. Um, I could not name her husband. I actually don't know his name. I don't remember. I never met him. Uh, and, and some of y'all are like that. You don't know. I mean, you get to a certain generation where you legitimately have no idea who these people are. And yet, you would not be here without them. Literally, you would not be here without them. And yet, just like that, for people dearer to us, our existence depends on them, on their lives and so on. And yet, we couldn't tell you much of anything about them. You will be forgotten. All that learning... 
all that uh, skill, all the instruction that you had, all the insight to live life well. And yet it's just a matter of time before you're gone and you will be forgotten. Learning for a legacy will annoy you. Well, not only that, laboring for a legacy will also annoy you. He talks about not just getting an education and learning and all of that. He's going to talk about work here too. Look at what he says. He says in verse 18, he says, Though I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I got to leave it to someone who will come after me, and who knows whether he'll be wise or a fool. Boy, do we hear this all the time, don't we? This person here who built this company from the ground up, right? And, and, and this is their baby, and this is their heart and soul, and they have so much passion for it. And something happens, whether it be health or, or, or they just, you know, they just are, are bored and they don't want to leave the company anymore. And they handed the keys over to the next person. And you all know what typically happens, right? The next person gets the keys and drives that car right into a tree. <laughs> right? I mean, it's just, you're looking at it. This is the story of business after business after business after business. Those of you who are, who are versed in those things, you know this. Why? He says here, uh, he says, he will be the master of all for which I toiled and used uh, my wisdom under the sun. He says, this also is vanity. Look at verse 20. He says, I turned about and gave my heart to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. My father-in-law is here in, in, uh, in attendance with us this morning, and, uh, and he worked for how many years? 43 years at Utz Potato Chips in Hanover, Pennsylvania. Y'all can feel free to come over and, and thank him for his many years of service uh, and the many carbs and many pounds that he has invested into your lives. Uh, it's, it's great. But 43 years of, of service uh, uh, working for Utz Potato Chips, and his dad did the same thing, decades of working for Utz. Well, they remember the original Mr. Utz. Uh, he actually used to run routes and everything just like all of the other workers. This was his company. And he would get in a truck and he would drive and he would run the routes and everything too and meet the stores and build relationships with folks. Everybody loved Mr. Utz. Well, what happened uh, was, well, after he had invested all that time and all that energy into the company, he gets up there in age. And so he hands it over to, well, he was going to hand it over to, uh, to a child, but the only one that he had was a daughter, and she didn't really want to run the company or anything like that, so he gave it to her husband, his son-in-law. Now think about this. You have invested all this work and all this time and all this energy into this. This is the family company. It has your name on it, Utz, potato chips, right? But now you hand it over to your son-in-law who did not grow up with the family company. You see what's going on? And now having not grown up in the family company, it just isn't as big of a deal for him as it was for his father-in-law. They don't have the family ties and the family bonds and all of that. And so what happens? Inevitably, the company changes. You see this over and over and over again. You, and you say, well, but, but I'm working so hard and I put my DNA into this and this is the way I want it to run and this is what I want to do and this is all of that. And here's, here's uh, Ecclesiastes saying, yeah, and it won't always go the way you want it to go. I see this all the time. I see pastors in ministry uh, over at the school and, you know, this guy has, has served at the church for 40 years or something like that. And he gives it to this guy over here and this guy becomes the pastor. This, the other guy retires. He becomes pastor. And what does he do? Well, he decides he's going to change this ministry and he's going to change this ministry. and He's going to change this ministry. And all of a sudden you have some of the older folks who remember the previous pastor going over and tattling. <laughs> they go over to the previous pastor and say, he's changing everything and he's we loved it here we loved when you were pastor oh it was so wonderful and everything but this guy over here he's burning this thing to the ground and all of that what hey that's life that's what he that's what he's saying here in ecclesiastes that's life you're you're laboring for a legacy but it's going to annoy you because no one said that it was going to last forever. See? Learning for a legacy will annoy you. Laboring for a legacy will annoy you. Well, then what do you do with your life? Look at verse 24. 
He says, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Wait a second. So, so what am I supposed to do with that? Well, just enjoy life. How do I enjoy, how do I enjoy life when all of the work that I've done in this world amounts to very little? Why would I enjoy life? He says here, this also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. And this also is vanity and striving after wind. Do you hear what he's saying? It is the gift of God that you enjoy anything in this life. Do, do, do you see what's going on? If I'm working for this legacy and I'm grinding and working hard and doing everything I can to make sure that I build something that will last forever. Maybe it's the investments that I put into my house, or maybe it's the investments that I put into my career, or maybe it's the investments that I put into my kids, or whatever it may be, and I'm working and working and working and working. Notice, uh, more times than not, that person is living a miserable, stressed out life. Because all along the way, as they're putting their focus on these things that will not last, they're missing out on the little joys that God is giving you moment by moment by moment as life goes by. Are you missing the moments? Are you working so hard that you're completely overlooking the moments of joy that he says here are gifts from God. Hey, you may not have all of that. You may not have kids that make straight A's and get the full scholarship and wind up on the, on the fast track to success or anything like that. But have you noticed the little things that they're doing that are just wonderful? Are you, are you missing out on the little things that they're doing? You could be working and, 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 and all that to, to make sure that you, you know, make this lasting legacy for yourself and your career and all that. But have you noticed the relationships that you've been building with your coworkers along the way? That's a gift from God. See? And the way that God is using that job to provide food for your table and clothes on your back and a roof over your head, those are the gifts of God in your life. You see what's going on there? Don't miss the joys simply because you are working for a legacy that is not guaranteed. That's what he's saying here. Well, why isn't it guaranteed? How, how do we make sense of this? Why is it when I try to do all of these things and I try to follow all the rules from all the different books and, and, and all the different teachings and everything, why doesn't it work out the way that I want it to work out? I think that's what the beginning of chapter 3 is here to teach us. It's going to tell us something about time. It's going to tell us a couple of things about time. So we saw in the chapter two that uh, uh, legacy mode will annoy you. But one of the things he's going to show us here in chapter three is that time limits are all around you. Time limits are all around. The one thing he's going to show us about time is that it's built in with limits. God has put limitations in this world and in this experience, and that applies even to your work. You, you won't last forever. Your name won't last forever. Your reputation won't last forever because God made it that way. Look at what he says. Time, time limits are all around us. Look at chapter 3, beginning of verse 1. For everything, there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven. There's a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. There's a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. 
They're all around you. It's all around you. In fact, it's so much a part of our lives that when things go wacky, we notice them. Like, for instance, I don't know if you've noticed, but it's February, and I see flowers. And I went to open up my truck the other day, and I saw the little specks of pollen on my truck in February. And I don't understand, right? This is, here's the clear, this is madness, right? <laughs> I'm looking under the sun and I'm going, what is this? No, 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 no. I don't need six more weeks of allergies, all right? You know, I don't need all of this. What, 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 what is going on here? Well, the reason that I respond that way is because there's a time and a season for everything. There's a time for that. There's a time not for that. Some of you uh, uh, who are single, you may be uh, striving and, and, and longing to be married. And maybe God is saying, this is not the season yet. It's not time yet. Maybe some of you who have been trying to have a baby, maybe in God's providence, it's not time yet. Uh, it's not saying that it won't be time. It's just now is not the time, at least not as he wants it to be. You have some folks who are praying for some people's salvation, and you're wondering, why haven't they come to faith yet? Maybe it's not time yet. Maybe it will be time. Maybe it is time. When people do come to faith, it's because it's time, you see? God has put times and seasons into everything, and they're all around you. You know, some of y'all who are gardening, you know about the time that uh, when it's time to put the seeds in the ground, you know, and time to, time to water and all of that. You know that time. I have no idea what time that is, uh, which is why our grocery bill is as, as high as it is, because I, I don't know what to do with the ground. It, it, it's just dirt to me, but for you guys, it's a wonderland, right, of, of possibilities and opportunity and stuff to grow all these different veggies. You know the times. You've got it down to a science of when it's time to plant, when it's time to water, and then as soon as the season comes for you to pick up the tomatoes or pick up, you know, whatever veggies you've planted, they're there and they're ready just as you expected them to be. There's a time and a season for that. There's a time where you're enjoying life and it's a beautiful season. Maybe a, ba a baby who has been born and you're there and you're celebrating and then you know what it's like to say goodbye and you know what it's like to have a funeral. And, and we've had uh, a couple of times in our own uh, marriage where we have had a baby born right around the time that a loved one died. Um, and, and just to feel that juxtaposition of, of happiness and sadness just kind of, you know, kind of crunched up next to each other and so on. It's the times and the seasons of life. Yeah. He says there's a time for all of these things. They're all around you. Well, what he's going to say from uh, 9 to 15 here is that there is one who is in control of that. Those times and those seasons aren't arbitrary. It's not luck, it's not fate, it's not coincidence, but rather there is a God who is ruling over all things and his control of time will astound you. Legacy mode will annoy you, time limits are all around you, and God's control of time will astound you. Look at what he says, verse 9. He asks the same question again. What gain has the worker from his toil? He says, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. First thing you see here is God made everything beautiful in its time. See? God is the one who's in control of all of time. God is the one working all things after the counsel of his will, Paul would say in Ephesians 1. And God has set the times the way that he wants it, and he looks at all of the times. He looks at the time slots, if you will, for all of history, and he says over all of it, the word behind beautiful is the word tov, good, good. This is how I want it to go. This is the schedule that I want for, for all of human history. This is how I want things ordered. This is how I want things to go. It's tov. We look at it and we go, but I don't understand why that is. Well, look at what he keeps on saying. He says also, verse 11, he has put eternity into man's heart, 
yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Note, God has made all things according to his purpose. He sets the times and sets the seasons for everything. And God has wired in our hearts this sense for eternity. He's put eternity in our hearts. But note, he puts eternity in our hearts in such a way that we still can't figure things out on our own. That's how God does it, right? So I have this longing for eternity. I have this longing to know what the plan of God is for all of human history. And here is God saying, that's none of your business. None ya, right? Y'all heard that before. You know, knock, knock, who's there? None ya. None ya who? None ya business. You know, I mean, that's what, that's what this is. You know, it's, it's, it's none of your business what all of that is. God, it's above your pay grade, okay? You work and you do your thing and you are doing the right thing and making the right choices and so on. God is the one who controls the times and the seasons. God is the one who controls the open doors and the shut doors. God's the one who controls the yeses and the noes. God is the one who is working all of those things. He put eternity in our hearts. We want to have this sense of knowing everything and seeing how it's all mapped out. But that's not for you. That's not for you. What's for you is to recognize that God is God. And you aren't. Okay? God has put eternity in our hearts. So what do we do? What do we do? Recognizing these limitations, recognizing that we can't know everything and we can't understand all these things. We're just living from season to season and all of that. We don't know what will happen tomorrow. We don't know the significance of what happened today or anything like that. What do you do? Verse 12, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. What do you do with your limited life? What do you do with the restraints and the restrictions and the walls that box you in from being the infinite person that you hope to be? What do you do? You enjoy being a creature. That's what he's saying here. Enjoy being a creature and enjoy God being the creator. Enjoy God being God and enjoy you not being God. That's what he's saying. Stop trying to be who you're not. Stop trying to be the executive producer of the show. You're not the executive producer. You're like a walk-on. And that's okay. That's not a bad thing. You're, you made it. You're in the show. That's a good thing. But, but, but when you want to be the executive producer, that's a bad thing, right? I want to write the script. I want to you know, determine who's, made the, who's in the cast and who's not in the cast. I, I want to determine how the plot twists and all these different things. You do that, you're going to live a miserable, miserable life. Because God is the only one running this show. You are a walk-on. And that's a good thing. He loves you. <laughs> he loves you best when you enjoy being the creature that he made you to be. See? Well, God put uh, all of these things, he, put, he made everything beautiful in his time, he put eternity in our hearts, he gives enjoyment in our labor. And so how should we respond to all of that? Look at verse 14. He says, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it. Why? So that people fear before him. That which is already has been, and that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. It's all we're saying about God being the executive producer. God's writing the script. God's controlling the times and seasons. God's involved in all that. Why? As he said at the end of verse 14, that people fear before him. So how do we respond to this? We fear the God who controls time. That's how we respond. 
God, that you would be the one to turn these seasons the way that you do, that you're the one who opens up the opportunities and who shuts down the opportunities, that you're the one who, who, who is in control of every little moment of my life, Lord, that you are sovereign over everything, that you are the one working your hand of providence in all things and in all times. Lord, how great you are. I am not God. You are God. I bow down and I acknowledge that you are the one who is in control. Why are we here? Why aren't we on a, in a brand spanking new building down the street? Well, because the God who controls the times and the seasons also controls the economy. Right? And, and, and right when we were ready to roll, we we're like, let's do this. Everything tanked. And, and, and so we had to figure out, well, what do we do? Well, we come over here and we're, we're enjoying all of this. Guess who provided this? God did. Yeah, and we're here and we're worshiping and we're enjoying each other's company and all that. We have to think on our toes. Of course, we got to think on our toes. We got to do the whole set up and tear down and all of this stuff again. And we're working through budgets and trying to figure out how to map all of this. And we're investing and trying to do all. That's all that we're doing in the day to day. But nothing will get accomplished unless the one who controls the times and seasons moves the times and seasons to make that happen. Do you see what's going on? Why are we here? Because God wants us here. What are we supposed to do? Well, same thing we, ever, we do every day, Pinky. Um, you know, I'm sorry, that was, <laughs> my childhood just kind of snuck up on me there. Um, no, what do we do? Well, you know, what we, we do what, we, what, we, what we've been doing. We continue to serve the Lord. We continue to, to share the gospel. We continue to love our neighbors. We continue to love one another. And we continue to live life well for the glory of Christ. Will God open that up? We hope so. Will God turn the economy around and, and that it works in our favor? We pray that that would happen, but that's up to him. That's up to him. I know some of y'all have had some wild financial uh, roller coasters over the last uh, several years. Some of you, like us, have, have just hit the, the, uh, the avalanche of appliances and cars and everything breaking down. And, and it seems like every breakdown isn't like $5 to fix. You know, it's just, just these massive things. And we're just like, what? And what now? I remember being in my car one time driving and just yelling, to, what now? You know, <laughs> I was just so frustrated at, at everything with all that was going on. And, and guess what? Why was that happening? Because that's the season we're in. But check this, seasons have time limits. Yeah, we would love for that good season to last forever. It doesn't. It won't. Not on this side, not in this fallen world. But on the flip side, and this is the hopeful thing, just as the good seasons have time limits, the hard seasons have time limits too. And we know that because we know that the God who controls the times and the seasons is also the one who has been working out an eternal plan from all of history. That all of these seasons and all of these times will culminate in a time and in a season that will never end. All of this in this fallen world, we've got to live through and we've got to go through the grind and we do our job and we're not guaranteed much in this life, right? We're not guaranteed that we're going to have a cush retirement. We're not guaranteed that people are going to remember our name at the job. We're not guaranteed that our kids are going to live wonderful, long, successful lives with all the things that we're investing in them. We're not guaranteed any of those things on this side. But we are guaranteed that if we are faithful, trusting in the one who died on the cross for our sins, the one who rose from the dead, and the one who promises to make all things new, that when this day and age is over, when this season of history is over, there is going to be a new season that is coming that will have no time limit. A time where there will only be righteousness and joy and peace and blessing forever. This is a little bit of a sludge, right? We've got we to work and we've got to grind and we've got we to we hustle and do everything that we've got to do to make life work. And maybe it will. But we trust in the one who controls our times and seasons. The one who holds our very eternity into, in his hands. And he promises that when this is over, that day will come. And there is no end to that day, only joy forever. 
This day will frustrate us and we will cry. And that day he will wipe every tear from our eyes. This day we struggle and we may die and never see anything. And that day the curse of death will be lifted and we will see with our very eyes the blessing of God forever. This day we've got to deal with being sinners and living amongst sinners in a fallen world. On that day, the one who paid the penalty for all of our sins will say sin and death and so on will be no more. And there will only be righteousness forever and ever and ever. So in this life, Enjoy the limitations. <laughs> Enjoy being the creature. Enjoy the struggle and all the little ways that God shows through with little beams of light through the mess of this life, knowing that a day is coming where there will be only light and no darkness ever again. That day is coming. That day is coming. What do we gain from the daily grind? We don't gain much in this life. But whoever said that this life was all there is, there's a better day that is coming. And all that you do in this life will be rewarded in that life by King Jesus in his day and in his glory. Amen? Amen. So maybe the songs that we need to sing aren't so much the drudgery songs of how terrible life can be and how terrible work can be. But what would happen if we sang the songs of Zion <laughs> and we reminded ourselves that, yeah, it's tough, but it's not going to be tough forever. God will indeed make a way, and he's already done so. His name is Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. So, Father, I ask that you would indeed work in every single one of us. Lord, there are some who are working tough jobs. The struggle is real for them. It doesn't seem like, they're, like it's amounting to much for them. It doesn't seem like the payoff is worth all the work. And yet, Lord, you have promised that you will take care of us. We may not get the, the full lasting legacy that we may be hoping for, but that's okay. You control our times and you control our seasons. And the day is coming when you will indeed lift our heads, when Jesus returns and the humble are exalted. So Father, I pray that we would lay low, that we would keep reminding each other that we are not the creator, you are the creator, we're but creatures. And I pray, Father, that as we do so, we would recognize every single joy in this life as a gift from your hand. As we await the day when the joys will be complete, when we see our King face to face, what a day that will be. Be glorified, our great Lord. Keep us focused in the daily grind. And keep us hopeful in the return of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name.